Good morning. Uh, The first Bible reading is from 2 Samuel chapter 6, and you can find it on page 309 on your Pew Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Baalah in Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the, on the Ark. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadad, which was on the hill of Azar and Ahio, sons of Abinadad, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, tambourines and cymbals. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And she saw, that the, she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place before the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave each a loaf of bread a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. Second reading is from Mark. Mark chapter 6, verse 14, and that can be found on page 1008. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and this is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah, and still others claimed, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. (coughs) Excuse me. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded and has been raised from the dead? For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. 
He did this because of Herodias, his brother, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, this is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportunity came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for the high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guest. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath. Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? Oh, the head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried to the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a dish. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent out an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a dish. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mr. God. Can I pray for you, Archbishop? Please do. Dear Lord, we pray your blessing on uh, Archbishop Moonhing as he preaches to us now. Uh, may he, your servant, bring your words to us in the power of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It is very strange today when we have these two scriptures that is just two different ends. And we are doing intentional discipleship on the beheading of John the Baptist. Well, we had to swallow it. Now, I like to present it in this way. Um, first, I'd like to talk about the core of God. John the Baptist, his father was Zechariah. His father is from the tribe, the, the Levi tribe. And it is the line of the high priest. And that means John himself will be in the line of high priest. One day, John will be a high priest. But he chose not to be the high priest. According to the scripture, he went to the wilderness. And he grew up in the wilderness. If he is part of the high priest line, 
he will have a comfortable life, beautiful home, and he probably will be a married man with children that will propagate high priest children, and the line goes on. But we also know that John the Baptist is a cousin of Jesus. Through to the ladies Elizabeth and Mary, they were cousins. So John and Jesus were close to each other. So in a sense, um, John actually knew Jesus. In that sense, he is at least half a year earlier than Jesus. So when Jesus was 30 years old, he began his ministry, and John baptized him. John is 30 years and 6 months. When Jesus died at the age of 33, John will be 33 and 6 months. So if you picture these things. But the story tells us that John the Baptist went heeding the call of God and he lived, he lived a monastic life. He did not have a family and he grew up in the desert and he wore branded clothings uh, with the camel brand, something like that, you know. <laughs> he ate uh, high-class food called the royal jelly honey, something like that. <laughs> and he, had, he ate uh, organic fruit called the locust. <laughs> This is what we are searching for today. We want the organic, you know. We want something good and no pesticide. Like John has all those things. And some commentators, if you go into the, 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 the commentaries, some commentators believe that John uh, is part of the Essene group or the Qumran group, which is they are the, the monastic or ascetic type of life. We never, be, never stayed, never married. And John uh, possibly will be with the community who are writing scriptures. Uh, those days, the scriptures are not in printed form like that. They have to write it in the scroll. So if you visit the holy place, uh, holy land, you, they will probably take you to uh, some, you may have gone there and take you to some of these places. And they take it very seriously because before you enter the room to write any scriptures, you need to wash your hands and face and there's ablution. Then you enter and you, someone sit in front of you and you have a scroll. You take the ink and write and someone read the scripture, you write it down. And after finishing, you read back to the person and they will check and see whether your writing is correct. Uh, That's how they, they keep uh, writing many scrolls those days. And sometimes they take the scroll and they sell the scroll to the synagogues and to the other places. Otherwise, they would have not have the Holy Scripture with them. John's life is full of this uh, activity and he, he was in the wilderness. And of course, Herod called him a holy man, a righteous man, because John is very righteous and holy. And his sermon in the wilderness, he preached in the wilderness. In the wilderness, the people flocked to him. Hundreds and thousands flocked to him. 
And even Pharisees came, Levites came, soldiers came, and some of them, he says, that you go back, you are brood of vipers, uh, because look at your, the, the things that you have been doing, unless you, conf- you repent and confess the sins. You know, the rest of the people came and baptized by John. And those baptisms at that time was a baptism of repentance because they are waiting for the coming of the Messiah. They prepare themselves and they knew that they are far away from God. So John's life is full of this. And obviously John is one of the very vocal guy. He was very unhappy with this Herod uh, and his King Herod. And so that's a different Herod from the one when, who was killing were about to kill Jesus when he was a baby. So these are the different heritage. But it's the same family. They come from the Idumean. Idumean, the place called Idumean. They are Idumean, which means they are maybe one quarter Jew or one eighth Jew or one sixteenth Jew. Some, something will have something of a Jew, uh, Jewish blood, but because they, they were like the Samaritans, it's like half Jew. So this is even worse than some. So the Jew never take them seriously because they are like Gentiles and they behave like Gentiles and they don't worship the same God or the same style. And some do, but a lot of them don't. Like Herod, they didn't even bother. So John speaks against these people, especially the high authorities. And obviously there are a lot of things John may have spoken that is not recorded. So John felt the core of God very strongly, not to follow the father's line, which is a high priest. He could stay in the high priest family and teach the Bible, and he could do great things as well. But John was so clear that God called him out of it, went into the ascetic life, went into the desert. Now, I'm not able to tell you how John got the call, how he understood the call, but we knew that God had taken this this step. It is a big step because when you come up in a family of the high priest, you've got everything already for you. And possibly the father, Zechariah, and the mother, Elizabeth, will have to say, John, if you want to teach the Bible, yes, a high priest, you can teach the Bible. You can even do sacrifice to God Exactly as the word of God. Why do you move out to do something, you know, so different from the family tree? But God, John obviously has a very strong conviction and he moved that way. And he knew this life is not an easy one. This call actually uh, helps him to really prepare his way for the coming of of Jesus. But of course, when his father, Zechariah, was talking about the coming of the Messiah, John probably understood in the Old Testament the coming of the Messiah. They didn't know it's time, possibly, but John knew God had called him. If you go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, you will see that John, God told him, that there will be one guy who will come among the midst of all the people who come for baptism, one guy, he's greater than you, that even you are not worthy to untie his shoelace. He himself said, God told him, 
and he didn't know who which guy is that guy. God didn't give him the name. Did he give him the, the, the face? No, not like Paul. Apostle Paul, he saw the, the Macedonia guy, then he crossed. But John didn't see anything. In fact, he's, he's his cousin. He didn't even know his cousin. Then maybe on the day of baptism, he said, why are you here? <laughs> you know, just like one day when I became a bishop and I was walking around, you know, one, one day I just want to buy something. I went to a big Lost uh, this uh, shopping complex. Then I was walking there. One member saw me. Bishop, why are you here? <laughs> it's almost that the bishop is not allowed to come to this lush <laughs> shopping complex. Maybe bishop is only good for econ safe. <laughs> or Tesco, maybe. <laughs> so he was looking at Jesus. Why are you here? Jesus, possibly, but I'm not sure how much John knew about Jesus, but obviously they will know each other a little bit, even though, but Jesus lives in Nazareth, he lives in the desert, in, maybe near the Dead Sea, he's quite far away. But then when he baptized Jesus, suddenly the heavens opened, the voice of God came and said, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Then he saw the heaven open like a dove coming upon him. Then John himself described that because I saw these things which God told me, I knew he's the one. So John actually heard the call of God. I don't know when, but he heard the call of God that he's the one who prepared the way. He was so clear with the call and he did not even move to the left or to the right anywhere, but he just concentrated in the call. Now, before I go on, this is an introduction of John. Before I go on, can I ask you to do something? But please don't tell your spouse. Just keep it to yourself. From 1 to 10, a scale of 1 to 10. Okay? 1 is the least, 10 is the most. Don't give me 11, don't give me 0. So 1 to 10. Now, you gave yourself one number, yourself a number, and you place yourself. Don't tell anybody. You don't have to tell God. Just, you know, one to ten and say, now, at this point of time, where are you? If you are one, means you are very, very low in your faith in God. If you ten, means you are very high in the, in the core of God or in the faith in God. If you are somewhere in the middle, five or six or four, so you're in the middle. If you think that you are better than the middle, then you can be seven or eight. Just give yourself a figure. If, you, if you're not feeling very comfortable with five or six, you can put 5.5, 5.9, something like that. <laughs> give yourself a figure. You know? So, at the end of my sermon, I will ask you again. Now you give yourself one figure. Don't tell the spouse. Don't tell the one beside you. But you give yourself one figure, put it in your mind. At the end of the service, I will ask you the same thing again. Then you give yourself another figure. Let's become the core of God. I want to say very clearly, and I strongly believe, a need is not a core. 
We are so much caught up with needs around us, but the need is not a call. John, at his time, lot of needs. He could teach the Bible as a high priest, son. He could move to all the synagogues. He could even do great things among the Sanhedrins or the house of high priests and gather them to have conferences. You know, take them all to Swanik. You know, to do a big conference and give them all the seminars of discipleship, something like that. He can do all these things. John can do. And John can even save, get a lot of money as a high priest, and he can give to the poor. He can help the needy. He can do a lot of social ministry, and he could able influence the government because he's a high priest. He's the top of the Sanhedrin, and he could influence Herod or the government at the time, and say, "Can you build this?" For the school for the needy, or you build this hospital for some, he could do. He could, he can influence. There's a lot of needs, but John did not heed to the needs. Today you walk around anywhere, needs everywhere. If you came yesterday or the day before to one place in Stoke, that church is full of asylum seekers and refugees. Are they not needs? Needs. And I ask, you know, what are they doing around here? The whole day, nothing, because they are asylum seekers and they are refugees. They are not allowed to work. Will they have no needs? Lots of needs. But if you want to go onto the needs, you may miss the call. If your call and your needs are the same, then possibly you do a great thing. But first, a need is not a call. Now look at our own lives first and see: Are we? Going around doing needs, meeting needs, or are we really meeting the call of God? John didn't do that. John was clear of his call, even though his call is to monastic life into the desert. He went there, and John died very young. He has not even reached his thirty-third birthday. He died because of his call. At least Jesus died at 33 years old, but he died earlier than that. After he was baptized, Jesus and Jesus was moving around. He was not sure whether it's you. Are you Jesus, or should I look for another one? Jesus said, "No. You see the line, the blind eyes open, the lame walk, you know, the sick was healed, the demon cast out. That's me." But John was already in jail by that time. The story today was just immediately after Jesus had moved around. Possibly at the thirty-first year of his life, he was called home. That's a price to pay, because he stick to the call. He didn't stick to the need. If he stick to the need, he probably don't need to even to go to jail at all. So, a need is not a call. Today we had to look at our lives again. Whatever age we are in, God has still a call, and a call. Is clear in our lives, and everyone is called. Of course, the general call is to go and make disciples, all the nations. But for everyone, has a specific call in our own lives. It's not necessary to be an ordained ministry. It could be a call to be in a, a specific things. I want to say this one thing. A recent survey in my country, 
uh, that we have done, but not a very big survey, but I can't tell you, give you full proof of all these things, whether it is a, a trend. But we asked a lot of young people, and because since uh, young people these days are finding it very hard to, you know, they are not too much in the church, so asked, and the survey went on and asked them, who influenced your life most? Who influenced your life most? Or who do you respect most? Or who has affected your life? The survey came back. More than 60 to 70% says grandparents. Grandparents affected their lives most. It cut across braces, but say grandparents affect them most. Some say teachers, and some, some say they are their mentor, the boss, or somewhere, but a lot of them put grandparents number one. The grandparents are quite easy, you know, look after the child, and time's up, go back to you. <laughs> But these children, a lot of them are affected by grandparents. If, we, if the grandparents are very strong in faith, in church, they possibly will rub on to them. The parents may be very busy, the grandparents actually can rub on and tell them the story of the Bible, give them the faith, pass on. So that's a very special call. If the grandparents can see that it's your call, then we can do great things. It could be a mentor. It could be someone mentor. I was told that here, Peter Ui, Peter who is here, has more than 20 mothers. <laughs> but that's a great thing. That's a great thing. So he has a lot of people, a lot of mentor in different ways and they help him. So that's number one. So John, so today we had to look again on our lives. Are we really meeting needs alone, needs can actually drain you. Are you listening to the call and doing it? The call and the needs may be the same, but if, then if it is the same, great. But if it's not the same, you will feel very tired because God called me this way and you didn't answer, but then you still because you are caught up with all the things there. And number two, a call has a price. All call has a price to pay. And John paid his life a price. Jesus paid his life as well. The apostles, all the apostles paid for their lives. Except John, the apostle, which lived to quite an old age, the rest were quite young and they, have, they were killed. They were martyred. It's a price to pay. And this price is heavy. And this price does not allow us to compromise our lives, our, our character, or daily living. John was holy and righteous. Even Herod called him holy and righteous because he was that kind of person. He could bribe his way because he's a, he's a family of the high priest. He can have a lot of strings to pull. He could bribe his way through and get him out. But he remained staying in the prison 
without all these things. There's a price to pay because those things actually does not correlate with his life of holiness and righteousness. Today is the same thing. Sometimes we find it very hard to do something because if we can compromise and we do it fast, we can get it through. But God will stood back, stand back and say, Hey, my friend, what are you doing? Once we are out of the favor of God, it is very hard to come back. Saul got out of the favor of God. He began good. King Saul, very good. But later on, he was out of the favor of God. And God had to reappoint and point another guy, David. That was very sad. He called and cried to God. He still cried to God and called God, but there was no answer. So he went to go for the medium to get Samuel out to get an answer. You know the story. All calls has a price to pay. And the price could be costly. Could be costly. I mean, I can keep going on to tell you a lot of stories of this price paid. Uh, I came from a non-Christian family, and of course, there's a price. I was the first. My father scolded me and said that I was the first in the whole family of five generations to become a Christian. And he was very angry. I was in overseas in studying in Melbourne. He, he, he doesn't know how to read and write, so he didn't write any letters to me those days 40-odd years ago. So he sent a cassette tape and record his coding two hours there, sent to me. So I listened two hours coding. So I was so sad that I record songs over it, so I, I should have kept it. But anyway, that's, that's a price to pay, and I believe. Then couple of years down the road, I finished my course. I came back to Malaysia, went back to home, and I became an engineer, a civil engineer, worked around the country. And finally, the call came, say, I must go to the seminary. So I told my father, he was so angry. He never spoke to me since the day I entered seminary until he died. He never spoke to me. We never spoke. And of course, my mom was uh, uh, softer. She turned around and reasoned. In the end, I baptized my mom after 16 years. Very few people baptized the mother. So I'm very glad I'm one of them baptized my mother. But now today, about 70 to 80% of my family, including my extended family, my second uncle, my third uncle, my my aunt, all these, their families are all Christians. Uh, we praise God for that. But still, a few, a few families. Uh, one, my brother, my sister will be baptized. I think this this month, uh, elder sister. So, so one brother and his family, one sister and his family, and one uncle and family. I came from a very large family. I have ten siblings. So we are food team. My father and mother are referees. <laughs> so that's the call has a price, and those are price. And but if you stick to the call, God will see you through. But I want to say those are price you go with it. It is hard, just like the scripture says, they walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But it's not the valley of death; it's only the shadow of death. 
but yet you walk through, you be fearful. If it's unknown, difficult, but God say, fear not, I will be with you. It's hard. Then the third thing about the call of God. So to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to heed to the call. And when the call comes, we need to pay a price to follow that call. And the third thing, and the call, when the call comes, and we want to pay the price, the, the call, no call that God has given us and guarantee us safety all the time. We heard a lot of sharing that are safety. No. Jesus, his call, put him onto the cross. John the Baptist's call, he heed to the call, his head was chopped off. I believe Apostle Paul was chopped off as well. Peter was, was crucified upside down, as tradition tells us. All this call does not mean it's a bed of roses. Does not mean in the end you have this victory. If it, a lot of gospel have been preached these days, people say cheap gospel or prosperity gospel or cheap grace or you know hyper grace or whatever. You say everything will be good, but nowhere in the Bible says everything will be good. But God will say that you have victory in the end. There. But when you are going through, He gives you strength. He stands by you to walk you through. It's difficult to walk you through. We just have to change of government in Malaysia. When I became a bishop, you know, when I became a bishop, I was really a naive guy to become a bishop. So we have one group called, we have the Christians in the nation formed together with the Catholics and with the Protestants, with the evangelicals, with the, everybody came together. We formed the Christian Federation of Malaysia. The Christian Federation of Malaysia, when we formed together. And then I became a bishop. Everybody said, you will be the next chair. I said, no, I, I, I don't know anything. Don't, don't put me in. Then the Methodist says, no, we have, I have done my part. The Lutheran says, I have done my part. The assemblies of God say, well, I've done my part. Everybody have done their part. He said, only you. <laughs> I was blurred, didn't know. So I just say, okay, I'll try. Once I get in, that's the big problem. Because that year I got in, that year was the Allah word. The Allah word, the God, the Malay word for God is Allah. You know, was the home ministry the interior home affair ministry, the home minister, took the church to court. Not the church took the home minister, the they took us to court. And we went to the high court, we won. On the, that year that I became the, the chair of the Christian Federation of Malaysia, CFM, that year we had to go through the high court. At the end of the year, on the 31st of December, the high court pronounced that the church can use the word. We were so happy, we clapped hands, everybody was happy. Eight days down the road, 12 churches was firebombed. That is in the year 2010. 
12 years was firebomb. The 12 churches were firebomb. Including Bishop Donner's church. Uh, the Bishop of Kuching, you, you saw him. Including Bishop Donner's church. But his son suffered a little bit. Some suffered very bit. And one assemblies of God church was completely burned. Completely burned. So, no, I, I, it was, you know, I, 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 be, I find it very difficult at that time. Don't know what to do. We just have to rely on God and pray to God. What is next? And everybody has to really stay out 24 hours in the church to guard the church. Because we don't know where the firebomb will come again or not. There are a few places that the Muslim guard the church for us. But of course, these are all extremists who did it, who did it. So I always, I always share with people, you know, I must find out who is the one who asked me first to become the chair. And <laughs> the story goes like that, you know, that uh, one man who is a very rich man who invited all his guests to come to his house and to have a party in and at a party, he was announcing, he says that, I will give one million dollars to anybody who will swim from this end of the swimming pool to that end of the swimming pool. But in the, inside the swimming pool were crocodiles. He said, I will give one million to anybody who dare to swim across. Boom! Someone jumped in and very fast he swim, 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 and he came across, he came out. And even crocodile was not aware. And he went through. Well, then the, the owner came and said, you so brave, you great guy. These are the crocodiles and you jump and you swim so fast and you come out. He says, now you can have a one million. What are you going to do with it? He says, I'm, give, I'm giving one million dollars to tell me who is the one who pushed me down. <laughs> well, I felt like that. Somehow he said, you. So I get in, down the firebomb. What to do? First time in our country, firebomb of church. First time. And obviously, it's difficult. And so at that time, was very, we, we feel very tense. You know? And of course, then we won. The home minister took us to the appeal court and went up appeal and went up to the Supreme Court. At the Supreme Court, we lost. So until today, we lost that battle. The word God in Malay for Allah is not allowed. At least we confine it to that Catholic newspaper. But the, the country people, the people in, land, in the land, don't think so. They think it's for everything. But ever since then, we cannot have an importation of any Malay Bibles. Because they still think that the word cannot be used. We argue but the, the port authorities didn't allow because the order came, says that these books cannot come in. We used to print in our country the Bibles, but because the, the harassment from the government and the printers says I must give up, otherwise my business will be affected. So two printers, Christian printers, don't want to print anymore. So we had to rely on Indonesia, so we had to import. Now, now the order is all the ports of the country, east and west, are not allowing this Bible to come in. But we praise God that uh, the second time people push me into this type of pawn is to be the Bible Society chairman. 
the moment I went in, the, the, the authorities, the Muslim authorities, came and confiscated the remainder of the Bible we have in the Bible book, the Bible Society book room, took 30 boxes of all these Bibles. And then, uh, I have another thing. So now, we, since then, I told the, the Bible Society, we, we cannot go slow. We have to put it into the net. Thank God, now you can access it in the net. You can download from the Bible in the net. So you don't need hard copy. But the people in the, in the villages and in the jungle, the natives who read that language, they have no Wi-Fi. They only got wife. W-I-F-E. They don't have W-I-F-I. <laughs> so that's the third one. The call of God, for some, the call of God is to make an impact in the society or impact in the family or impact in other countries. That's called. And sometimes God keeps these people to the end of his life. But some people, God will have to say, you will have to sacrifice. It says the blood of the martyrs is the growth of the church. I, will, I close by ending. Uh, to, before I end, I will tell you this 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 illustration uh, so that you can do your scale second time. So possibly I will stand at the door and you tell me the answer. If I think that you pass, then you can go to coffee. If not, you stay in. <laughs> now this is a hypothetical case. Just, just an illustration. Just an illustration. Okay. Assume, assume that I, just, just as a particular case, that I need, uh, 1,000 pounds to survive for one month. Assume, just assume. For easy calculation, just 1,000. 1,000 pounds per month that I need to survive. I can buy food, I can pay the bills and do all these things, you know, uh, 1,000 pounds. But when I, if I earn 9, 000, uh, 900 pounds, obviously I will not have enough because I need 1,000 to be comfortable. If I earn 900, then I have to tighten my belt. I have to eat uh, simple, uh, possibly use things and simple, uh, the utilities and all these things, I have to go simple. If you ask me to give tithing, I will scratch my head and I find it very difficult because I only earn, I only earn 900 pounds. But, but if I need 1,000 pounds, for me, tithing is a very difficult thing. You ask me to go to buy fair trade compared to the non-fair trade. The non-fair trade is cheaper. Fair trade is costlier. I will go for the non-fair trade because I don't have enough. It's not that I don't believe fair trade. For people who don't have enough, struggles very hard. So they will always come to God and say, Sorry God, I just can't give you my tithing. I may give you an offering, but it's not even equivalent to 10%. If I give 10%, you know, I, I have only 900. I give 990 away. I have only 810, but I need 1,000. I even further from what I need. But let's say, if I still need 1,000 per month, but I earn 2,000 now, 
Then you ask me to give tithing. I'm, I'm able to do that because 2,000, I give 200, I got 1,008 left. But I only need 1,000. Maybe I will plus 200 for my extras. So 1,002. But I still have 1,008. 1,000, I, I'm comfortable. You ask me to give tight, 10% tight. Easy. But my question is, you pay after 2000, you gave 200 as your 10% tithe, that you have really fulfilled the commands of God. You have 1008 left, but you are, you need 1000 plus 200, 1002 just to have some extras. 1008 minus 1002, there's 600. Now my question asks, does God have a share? in this extra 600. When we do discipleship, we don't think God, we will meet the commandments of God and the sin. Thus God has a share in the 600. What is the 600 extra for? Oh, thank God, God has given me, He blessed me. So we can go to Spain, we can go to Russia, see the World Cup, you know, we, we can go around everywhere. Was God had a share on the extras. Let me make a big the picture bigger. Now I earn ten thousand. I pay my tithe one thousand ten percent. I have nine thousand. I need only thousand two. Let's I upgrade my car, upgrade my house, upgrade a lot of things. So I need to spend five thousand now. But I have 9,000. Now the 4,000 extras. Can we put it in? Is it a core of God? Where does the core of God come in? We say we have faith, but our faith according to the commandments. But can we have extra faith? Step out in faith? What about the extras 4,000? Does God have a share? We have to test our faith more and more each time. That's how the discipleship comes. It is not just the understanding of the Word of God, but it's the practice of the Word of God. Not the practice of the Word of God, only to the commandments alone. Jesus told in the story that the Roman soldiers come, if he points you, say, carry my bag. At those days, they had to carry the soldiers back very heavy to walk one mile. Jesus told them, walk two miles. And they say, Rabbi, you are crazy. To walk one mile, I'm really not happy, grudgingly. And I will, if I see the soldier comes, I will sneak somewhere. But how dare you tell me to walk two miles? But that's the word of Jesus. What did he say? What sort of discipleship he say? He's saying the discipleship is the core of God and there's a price. And the third thing, it may not all the time be bed of roses. It is hard. Sometimes it costs our life and cuts short our life. Okay, I have finished. 
Now you give yourself a mark again. Where are you in the scale? One to ten. Compare yourself just now with the earlier marks you have, and now you give yourself again. But I won't be so cruel to ask you for marks. Otherwise, I will have no dinner, uh, lunch. <laughs> But I leave it to you. You know yourself where you are. You give yourself a point earlier on a mark, and now the second time you ask yourself whether how much we are listening and following the call of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we heard you. You are so faithful, unchangeable. You are there, waiting for us. Reply. You can see through us, and you see in us. On the surface, we say, "Yes, Lord, here am I. We'll do your things your way. I will come." Attend to your commandments, but the Lord says, "I have called you to be my disciple." It's good that you respond to the call to be my disciple, but I have trained you and intentionally trained you to be greater disciple. And we are so happy, Lord, that you have called us. But the call is not a need. But we have so often gone into the needs of our our own heart, our own lives, our family, our community, our church, and we forgot the call. Help us to turn back. And the call has a price to pay. Usually, that price wants us to move. And walk the second mile. Help us, Lord. And the call may not always be bed of roses. There are a lot of challenges, but it strengthens us, equips us, puts us closer to you. But our investment is in heaven, not on earth. Thank you, Lord. Help us truly to be your disciple, using John. The Baptist, as our example, as we read about him today. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless all of you. Thank you.